we did a commercial that went directly against Smuckers. Uh, I don't know if you know, remember their tagline with a name like Smuckers, it has to be good. Oh, yeah. Um, and we said with a name like Smuckers, it doesn't have to be good. Oh, okay. <laughs> Came right for the throne. I like it. Hey, everybody, welcome to the next episode of the Slow Smoke Business Podcast. I'm Jared Morgan, and today I am thrilled to be joined by John Follis, who's the founder and CEO of John Follis Incorporated, and a wealth of knowledge about marketing and how to get attention. I can't wait to ask him a bunch of questions about how you can take your project and maybe find a way to get attention for what you're doing. Welcome, John. Hey, Jared. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me on your show. You're so kind. Thank you for coming on. And, and I'm just thrilled to be talking to you today. I gave John a little sneak peek before we got started, but we're actually doing a whole chicken today. Uh, so this is like a whole fryer chicken with, uh, I went two combo rubs on here this time, just sort of shake it out. Now, John, do you ever get on the grill? You ever, you ever like to cook? Uh, I like to cook, but uh, I've kind of gone the vegan direction. Mm. Or, or vegetarian. This is the show. I got to start asking that ahead of time because if I knew that ahead of time, we'll do something. You know, maybe some something something you would have eaten. I mean, I do eat I do eat meat and do eat chicken on occasion, but my default is uh, you know plant based stuff for the yeah. So yeah. So over the weekend, I went to a college football game, and we had it. We had some barbecue. People brought in some barbecue, and somebody brought some vegan burnt ends which burnt ends is typically like a pork thing or whatever. And they brought some vegan burnt ends. And I was, I, I, I took a bite as a joke. I thought, you know, and they were in, they were in, I went back for three helpings of it. They were incredible. So, you know, you, 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 you never know what you can do if you, if you try with stuff like that. Right. Right. So we're going to throw this on the grill really quick. Um, I've got it set at 375 and now John, I think I told you I'm in Alabama, and in Alabama, this is the this is one of the things to do is to do poultry, and then there's a white barbecue sauce uh, that people do, which is sort of like a mayonnaise-based apple cider vinegar thing. All right, oh, let me put the probes in there. So, John, you have a super interesting background. Um, and dating all the way back to the 80s, and, and the field of advertising has definitely changed a great deal in the last, um, I don't know, what would you say, 10 to 20 years, or maybe maybe a little bit further back? It's an ongoing uh, evolution. I mean, it it's continuing to change with, as you know, being a tech person with the digital landscape it changes every month. You know, there's a new shiny digital object to pay attention to every couple of months. But, you know, the major shift happened, uh, you know, in the late 90s when things shifted from traditional media to digital media and then just, you know, got more fine-tuned in the early 2000s when um, Google, you know, came on the scene and Facebook and, and LinkedIn and all those big platforms right now that, you know, younger people uh, just didn't think anything existed before. But uh, yeah, so it's, you know, I, I've seen a major, major, my career, I've certainly seen a major transition. Yeah. I mean, if you think about what advertising looked like in the 80s versus what advertising look like, looks like today, it's a completely different animal. You started your own firm uh, way back when, and you've also worked with some really big firms 
on Madison Avenue, which is right. really impressive. And um, you, I, I, so in going through your background, you've also worked with some badass brands, like just some really interesting companies. Um, what, first of all, can you tell me a couple of the names of those companies and, and maybe one that was the, your favorite to work with? I began my career um, actually in Atlanta, believe it or not. Um, oh. I, I grew up in Connecticut, went to school at Syracuse, upstate New York. But uh, I was afraid of New York City. Um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really a city guy. And uh, I've certainly spent many multiple visits to New York City growing up. But um, I didn't think I was ready for the big city. So I started in Atlanta working for uh, an agency that had the Delta Airlines account. Oh, okay. And did that for about a year and a half. And uh, that was pretty boring because it was all scheduling ads. <laughs> you know, the, the headline was uh, Atlanta to Houston nonstop. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Ooh, sexy. Yeah, really right? sexy, sexy stuff. <laughs> so, you know, I, I mean, I was ready to leave after six months, but it took me about a year and a half to finally get my act together. Moved to Chicago and uh, worked for one of the biggest agencies uh, in Chicago that had, among other things, Pizza Hut wow. as an account. So, uh, you know, I worked on that account for a while. Dial Soap, uh, Sears, uh, uh, Sears, you know, I don't know if Sears is even around anymore. Tires. I mean, I really worked on a variety of um, products and services uh, there. And then finally moved to New York um, after being in the business for about five years and spent the next 25 years working in New York City. The first four or five of those years were for big agencies in New York. Uh, I worked for an agency that had the Volkswagen account. Um, I also uh, did a project on Coke. So, you know, some, some pretty big brands in New York. But my problem was um, I was kind of allergic to the corporate environment. Um, I didn't realize it at the time, but the, the personality traits that got me in trouble in these big corporate environments were the exact same personality traits that made me super successful as an entrepreneur. <laughs> Just didn't realize until I got fired four times. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, uh, so I've also been fired, right? Um, I think... Uh, you probably find something like that in the background of most successful people. And what was, I, I wish I could, I, I should know the author of this book because I'd love to give him a shout out, but someone wrote a book called We Got Fired. Um, and I found it in a Barnes and Noble right after I had been fired uh, from a construction job when I was really young. And that book was so helpful because it just took you through this like pantheon of wildly successful, impressive people that all had some kind of failure like that in their background and how that can really shape your success in the future. Because to your point, it makes you realize the skill sets that are right for one thing maybe are not right for the other chapter. Right. And, you know, like you just described, Jared, I, um, when I started asking myself, okay, so what now after getting fired that fourth time? Actually, I, after getting fired the third time, uh, I began to realize that freelance might be a good option for me to continue uh, exploring. And I came up, I was trying to learn more about how to do that right. And I came across a book that was all about freelancing. And one of the, the best quotes out of that book, I'll never forget it because it, it really resonated, said 80% 
of uh, firings at big agents at big companies are political executions. <laughs> and, and, I, and I love I love the way they phrase that. Wow. You know, yeah. Because I could definitely relate to that from my personal experience, and that made me feel a little bit less like a loser. You know, uh, that it was a little bit. I mean, I re- and I realized that that. Um, Pretty quickly, I was taught and trained to believe in college that it was all about your creative talent. I came up on the creative side of advertising okay, just yeah. for your audience, uh, both as a writer and a uh, an art director. So um, we were we were trained to think that it was about how great your creative work was, and that's certainly important at these big agencies. That's that's uh, kind of um, a um, a very important differentiator between the big agencies. They all, you know, vie for these, these creative awards as a way, as a metric to kind of stand out from their competition. But very quickly realized once I started working in these environments that your political, your political skills were at least as important as your creative talent in these environments. And, uh, unfortunately I just, um, I was much less uh, talented at uh, politics than I was at uh, you know, creative work. Certain people can thrive in those environments. I think I sort of figured out too early on in my career that it was hard for me uh, to fit way down the totem pole and sort of sit in a cubicle and just be a guy that turns a crank. It was really hard for me because I was too, my mind would get me in trouble because I would start kind of looking at the decisions that were being made by leadership. And this was like super early in my career. And I would go, why are they doing that? Why wouldn't we, and, you know, and I'm espousing my opinion and, and not, you know, not savvy enough to realize like, who asked you, right? <laughs> Nobody asked you. Exactly. And it's, and that's, and that is exactly how I got fired, right? Is, you know, I was popping off about some decisions that leadership made and then, oops, made a mistake in a project I was working on right about the time I had said some stuff like that. And guess who was out, uh, looking for a job and, you know, you learn from those kinds of things. And, um, you know, I hated the people at the time that did it to me. I look back on it now and I think like, well, of course that's what they did. Right. I mean, it just makes, it makes sense. And if I was in their position, I had decisions to make, you don't make them all right. And you certainly, uh, it's certainly not helpful to have people on your team chiding you and (laughs) and chirping at you, but it takes skill or I I guess it takes, uh, maturity, right. To kind of realize that, that sort of thing. Yeah, there's a fine line between um, stepping on someone's toes with your opinion and, you know, offering constructive advice in a way that they um, that doesn't challenge them or threaten them, you know. So let's jump into what I would assume is your bread and butter, um, which is is just the thoughts on on advertising and, and catching people's attention. So you've done some incredible work. I've kind of went through and, and looked at some of those things. There's, is there a difference? Is, is it completely different now when you approach uh, trying to work with a brand today as it was, say, in the 90s before Google AdWords was a thing? Is it, is it totally different or would you think there are some no. common threads? No. There's, I mean, there are some things. The media is different because, like I said, you know, now it's a question of should I be on TikTok Uh, you know, which obviously didn't exist, uh, a few years ago, but the same principles apply. You're still a trying to get the attention of your prospect, your prime audience, right. That you're trying to, to reach. And then once you do get that attention, uh, to grab it quickly, 
with something that's going to want them to, to, you know, it's very quickly for, I should say, it's very, it's very difficult to get someone to, to say something in a, in a very quick um, soundbite and get them to pull out their wallet and, you know, punch in their credit card and, and buy something. Um, you know, it, it, you know, unless you're amazon.com and, you have all the the the, uh, the products that people want to buy, and people go there knowing what they want to buy. Uh, generally, if you're an entrepreneur, you're, you're selling something that that takes a bit of pers- persuasion. You know why they should buy from you versus the other four or five competitors out there. So that's the challenge, I think, of any uh, entrepreneur who's selling a product or service um, is to uh, communicate in a way that not just informs people, but uh, excites them, you know, it touches them. And that's yeah. where you got to touch people on an emotional level. Uh, a lot of uh, business owners don't realize that. They, they just think if I, my product is so great, all I need to do is tell people about my product. Well, <laughs> they can't step outside of their own shoes. You know, they think their product is great and maybe it is great, but you got to be able to stand outside of yourself and imagine someone who doesn't know anything about your product or service and knows very little about it. Um, and, and what are you going to say about your product that's going to really get them excited? Yeah, it's something I've always said when I was working with marketing departments, you know, or if you're working with a, you're right, kind of earlier stage entrepreneurs, especially if they're uh, more product oriented or tech oriented, they're very, they think, man, if people would just know that this widget does this, and, and, you know, the thing I would always say to him is like, well, why do they care, right? Why, why does somebody care that your widget does X? And if you keep asking that, it's an annoying question, but eventually you get down to, well, what is it going to do for them, right? right. And that was, that was kind of the thing for me, was trying to find the moment when it touches like, oh, I want that, or I need that, or that solves a problem that I have, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're selling a product that people know about, if you're selling hamburgers or uh, chewing gum or soap, you know, it, it doesn't take a lot of explaining, <laughs> you know, about what your product right. is. It's just a matter of just kind of getting it out there, reminding people that we're available. Um, but I would say that there are a lot of businesses that, um, again, do require a bit of education uh, for the consumer about exactly what your product does, what is the benefit of your product. And it's a matter of, it's a process, right? It's like connecting the dots. Uh, the, the, the first thing you need to do is get something that um, intrigues them, right? So they want to know more. So, you know, maybe it's a short video. Maybe it's a 60-second video that they come across on YouTube or, or TikTok. And that intrigues them enough to want to go to your website, right? Uh, or, or make a phone call and talk to someone at your company. Um, so it's, it's a process, a step by step by step. And if it's, you know, if it's a more expensive product, what they call a considered purchase item, it's going to require multiple, uh, um, connections before someone's going to be convinced to, to spend their money on that product. Right. You know, so a, a selfish thing that I'm, I'm going to ask here, which is, I was going to say, if John's nice, I'm going to ask this question, right? And, you've, and you're nice. So we're, <laughs> so the question that we always wrestled with, so for those that are listening that, that aren't familiar with my background, founded a company called ProctorU. It's an online test monitoring service to make sure that, you know, students and test takers can 
take a test over a webcam, making sure they get the instructions and they don't cheat. Well, um, in those several years at the very beginning of, of ProctorU, we were a startup, and the challenge that we had was we were trying to uh, get schools, we were trying to help schools solve a problem that they didn't want to admit they had. And so that it was such a challenging notion. And I'm not sure that we ever fully got it right, frankly. Um, if I was to bring you a situation like that, how do you get someone to admit they have a problem uh, before, you, before you can even get to pitching what your product could do for them? Uh, <laughs> I'm laughing. Um, so I don't know how much research you did about me, Jared, but... Um, in the late 90s and early 2000s, when the digital landscape was really changing and I was coming across a lot of small business owners that were really confused and overwhelmed um, by the changing uh, landscape, uh, I would talk to these people and half the time I felt like I was the marketing and advertising expert that I was, but uh, the other half of the time I felt like I was a therapist talking to these people. And I just realized whenever you're talking to uh, someone that's got a marketing challenge, it does, it is kind of like uh, therapy talking to these people. And um, because for the same reason you mentioned, some of them, for whatever reason, don't want to admit certain things um, or, or they don't know about certain things or they have certain fears about certain things. And before you could even begin to uh, help them and solve their, their marketing challenges, you have to sometimes get over these um, a mental or emotional or psychological barriers that they're mm. dealing with. And I am no therapist by any means, but um, years ago, Jared, um, I volunteered to be on a, a 24-7 phone crisis line where people would call up because they're feeling suicidal or they have some issue that they want to talk about. And um, thinking back on that, uh, it was the best training. I, it, before I was allowed to speak to anyone who's potentially suicidal, I had to go through 50 hours of training uh, that involved what they call active listening. And that's a process of getting your, uh, your, um, your person to talk about what's going on with them and try to get to the core issue. So I applied that active listening a lot when I was doing my Follis marketing therapy. So if I was working with a client like you just described, you have to kind of be very delicate when you're talking about them because if this is something that they, a pain point for them, right, that they don't fully want to acknowledge, you have to be kind of delicate. So I think it's a, to answer your question, it would be a challenge. I think it would be, um, first of all, developing a rapport with them so they can feel comfortable with me, right? Um, that I'm not trying to sell them anything and hope that after a series of conversations, maybe two or three hours of talking to them, that they would let their guard down enough where I could begin to get to that pain point and help them to understand that until they uh, acknowledge um, that they've got a problem, you can't begin to help them with that problem. You know, that's the first step, like, right, right when you're an alcoholic yeah. or something like that. The first step in recovery 
is to acknowledge that you've got a problem, whether it's gambling or whatever. And that same uh, acknowledgement applies to a business business owner. And this is, you know, there's some business owners, Jared, that I just realized I can't help because they're just not willing to accept the reality of some of the issues. And if they're not willing to accept that, then I can't begin to help them. Yeah, you can't help everybody. And certainly when people come in with their own kind of mental blocks, you know, tearing down those things are, are hard. But how do you, you know, if you get through there and, you, and you're working with, you so see you've kind of broken down that mental barrier and you want to put a message together that grabs someone, is there a formula that you use or are there some kind of, you know, things that you always go back to when you say like, okay, I'm working with a brand A here and we need to get people's attention um, is there a process that you could say to like a, an early stage entrepreneur that says, you know, I need to get attention for my product or, or and my company here? Yeah, I know everyone is looking for a process or a system and there are tons of marketing people slash salespeople. And I, I would, I would, uh, dare to say that these people are more salespeople than they are really smart marketing people because they want to sell you their program their magical program or system that just follow these five easy steps that are, are guaranteed to work. And the fact of the matter, Jared, is that every business, just like every person, um, though they may have similarities to other businesses in the industry, uh, there's, there's always something unique about them. So I, I, would, I would never say that there's really one uh, simple solution that can work for all these businesses. It really, I really believe that to, to really be effective, um, it really involves a, a custom approach that's specific to their business issues. Again, they may be similar to other similar business issues, but um, not exactly the same. So I think it's a mistake to even suggest that something that worked for some other businesses will also work for your businesses because nothing is exactly the same. And that, that slight difference can make all the difference in, in your marketing approach, how you, how you, you know, what you do to, to market your business or service. So that's why um, it, before I can even begin to help anyone, it does require several hours of conversation. So I really intimately know, um, you know, all their issues and, and can figure out how they then begin to put together a marketing plan that's then followed by a creative execution. But it starts with a marketing plan and what is the right strategy? Because the best creative will do nothing if the strategy is wrong. And I'm sure you know that. Yeah, for sure. And it makes me feel a little better. I'm going to check the chicken while we're, we're saying this. It makes me feel a little better because the best uh, marketing professionals that I've worked with have all not had a particular like formula. It's always been, well, let's talk and, um, you know, let me ask you a bunch of questions. And then we end up, you know, finding out, hey, there's some soft spots here that we can start to work with. Right. Um, chicken looks pretty good, by the way. Let me keep that closed. Um and I, and I come away not knowing that there's a formula or there's like a, a way that they operate, but, but sort of finding, I think, smart people that I feel like, you know, and I've worked with several multiple times in a row. And the reason I do that is because there's something about this group of people's brains that seem to kind of tease out the right answer. And, and, but it, you never sort of get to it the same way as you did the last time. Yeah, uh, and, and that's not to say, Jared, that there aren't certain um, 
things that are are true about all kinds of effective advertising and marketing. Um, it certainly helps if your product or service has a has a a benefit, right? Right. Uh, it's a little bit different when you're dealing with a product or service that's what's called a, a parody product, right? It's really no different. You know, when you're in that situation, you don't really have, you know, to use a, a culinary uh, uh, explanation, uh, you, there's no um, there's no steak. To, there's no, the steak is the same. So you're forced to just sell the, the sizzle. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It's, it's yeah. all sizzle, right? Yeah. But if you have something special about your steak, then, then, then you could really get to the product benefit and focus on that. And that's always better, but you know, that's not always the case. But regardless of what your product or service is, um, the, what's true in, in every case is that you really have to um, say something in a way, and this is where the create creativity comes in. It, it's not just what you say, it's how you say it that can make all the difference in whether or not someone's going to respond to you. Right. Um, so, and that's again, where the, the, um, I think the, the creative talent comes in. Um, this is, this is again, how big agencies would pride themselves on the fact that, um, their, their creative product, uh, helped, uh, the, the clients that they worked with become more successful because the, the creative work, uh, not just got attention, but uh, was effective in that it, it, it helped increase sales. So, you know, you've got to have the right message and you have to, you have to um, engage people quickly and, and, and kind of captivate them quickly with their message. If it's a video, you know, right. I, when I was in the business in the eighties, I did some TV commercials. We did 30 second commercials and 15 second commercials. Well, now we have uh, YouTube and TikTok. It's the same thing. It's just not on network TV. There's no media buy involved, but it's still a video. It's still 15 seconds or 30 seconds, and you've got to captivate people quickly. So the fact that I'm trained to think in 30 seconds or 15 seconds from the 80s still applies to, to TikTok right now. Just uh, more dance moves probably on TikTok than there were in the eighties. <laughs> so I say I pick at TikTok right. a lot, but I I had so the guys that I work with um, for this show, you know, finally wore me down and they said, "Hey, let's let's get you on TikTok." And and once I realized I did not have to do kind of like it was a, you're, you're it's possible to talk on TikTok and not be doing dance moves at the same time, then the second half of of my story began. Right, so. Um, it's interesting to find how those those different medias change the conversation, or change, I guess, like you said, change the medium. But it's it's a uh, getting people's attention, doing something provocative, thinking about how that affects your brand or your story. I guess those things remain the same. They always remain the same. Yeah, it's about uh, you know it starts with a lot of groundwork before you even get to the you know thinking about the creative execution. It really. Uh, half the battle is just having the right strategy, the right message. Um, you know, I, I got honored at the United Nations for a child abuse ad that I came up with. Um, this was an ad, Jared, that I came up with um, just uh, on my own uh, while watching a TV uh, a documentary on PBS that was profiling the life of Adolf Hitler and mentioned that Hitler was abused on a regular basis when he was a kid mm. and a light bulb went off in my head. And I thought, um, 
this makes this could make a great child abuse ad. And the strategy was that um, it's not about what you do with your kid. You may not even have a child, but the fact of the matter is that child that child abuse can be a problem for everyone in the world because someone who was abused as a child uh, and and didn't resolve their issues can uh, exercise that abuse in, in a way that really screws up the world and screws up everyone's life. Wow. Wow. And there are many examples of um, well-known murderers and rapists and, um, and, and mass killers like Hitler and Charles Manson and Mussolini and uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, that if you look in, in their history, they were all abused as kids. So that angle, the strategy of saying child abuse hurts all of us was kind of a, a different strategy, a different uh, direction that, than most child abuse ads took. And uh, someone at the United Nations saw that ad and thought it deserved an award. So that was that was kind of cool to be honored there. That's that's incredible. Like what a what a what an honor. And I can see why. Like you've done several provocative things or you know, moving types of, of pieces. Is there other than let's set that one aside, because obviously you're very proud of that one. Is there another piece of work in your career that stands out to you and say, man, I'm really proud of that one? Yeah, well, it's the uh, the account that uh, actually enabled us to start our advertising agency. Um, I had um, just met a guy who was a, a an, an account exec and, a, and a, a, a master at new business. He was amazing. Very, very aggressive New York guy who um, was looking for someone like me, a creative talent. And uh, we just started collaborating. And for a, a couple of months, nothing really happened. But then we had an opportunity to uh, pitch an account uh, that I didn't, I didn't even, again, it was a small business. I never heard of it. It was called Sorrel Ridge Jam. And um, I, we had heard that uh, I think they billed maybe a half a million dollars or a million dollars in billings. They wanted to do some TV work. And uh, my partner found out that they were, they were throwing their, their account up for grabs. And we were one of five agencies. And we weren't really an agency at the time. We were just two guys, basically, freelancing. <laughs> we had, right. we had no, no agreement. We just had a verbal agreement between us, nothing even on, on paper. But my partner said, you know, they're looking for uh, a kick-ass TV commercial. And the thing about their product that's special is that, and this was in 1988, so this is probably before you were born. But No, oh, come on now. Don't, don't shave those many years. I was 81, 40 years old. Come on. Okay, okay. But I was young. So in, in 88, people weren't that health conscious about what, what, they, what they ate. Uh, and he had been selling this, this pro this was an all fruit product. So it didn't have refined sugar in it. It didn't have corn syrup in it. It was just all fruit. And he had been selling it in health food stores for, for years and finally decided that he was going to uh, take a leap of faith and try to put it on uh, uh, store shelves right next to Smuckers. Oh, wow. And compete with Smuckers. Now, you've heard of Smuckers, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, so Smuckers at the time, probably still now, was the number one uh, jam in America, and he um, he wanted to do a commercial that pointed out that his jam was healthier than Smuckers, hoping that people would give a shit about that. So uh, we had an opportunity to do a commercial, and uh, we we did a commercial that went directly against Smuckers 
Uh, I don't know if you know, remember their tagline with a name like Smuckers, it has to be good. Oh, yeah. Um, and we said with a name like Smuckers, it doesn't have to be good. Oh, okay. <laughs> Came right for the throne. I like it. That's essentially, I said, listen, you know, what is there? It was like a David versus Goliath uh, challenge. And uh, we had, you know, their media budget was something like uh, uh, $20 million and ours was like (laughs) $300,000. So we knew we had one shot at it. And again, this is where the creativity comes in, right? But it also comes out of a really smart strategy. Uh, We definitely had, you know, they were the leader in the category. We had a clear advantage. So the question was, how can we communicate in 30 seconds that we are a better product than Smuckers if you really care about what you eat? Mm. So that was basically our message that uh, with a name like Smuckers, it doesn't have to be good. And we're better uh, because we're 100 percent fruit and nothing else. No refined sugar, no no, uh, corn syrup. And. Uh, three weeks, four weeks after they ran, they ran that in the New York market, I think, uh, California market. Markets are people are maybe more educated and concerned about things, stuff like this. And uh, sales went up 90%. Oh, wow. Uh, the first month and for the year went up over 50%. Whoa. And it became a Harvard business case study. Wow. Uh, because it was so successful. So, um, I mean, that's pretty rare that that comes from a TV commercial, but uh, he, his initial media buy, and this was in 1988, his initial media buy was 350K, and he immediately put another 500K because <laughs> there was such a direct response from right, yeah. you know, what was happening. And he said, right, you know, I, he said he had, I think he had to, you know, put his, uh, you know, do a second mortgage on his house to get the money to put into the TV media. But there was but, a clear uh, ROI, right? From, there was from, a clear from ROI, yeah. absolutely. And that's that's pretty rare, rare, especially from a TV commercial, that you see such a direct result. But again, you know, we were fortunate in that we had a client, A, who had a better product, but B, was willing, had the balls, quite honestly, to run something. And his lawyers, he ran it by his lawyers, and his lawyers said, listen, you you... Get ready because Smuckers is probably going to sue you for this. And my response was, are we saying anything that's not true? And he said, no, but that doesn't mean that they still won't try to sue you. You know, for, you know, and they said, well, listen, if if we would win that lawsuit, go ahead, let them sue us. We'll get more press because we're getting sued. Oh, yeah. So, you know, my argument to the to the business owner was, let's hope they sue us. Great. That would be great because then we'll go to every every network meet business channel and let them know what's going on. That this b- big bully Smuckers is suing the little guy because we're we're uh, we're we're poking a nerve at them and exposing the fact that their their uh, their jam is full of shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and at that point, then you get that's that's free airtime, right? You're all over the place. Whenever you can get PR. That's that's free. That's free publicity if if you can get it. So that's a great case study of not just you know a, an effective ad campaign, but on the value of a of a company working with an experienced agency. Even though you were just becoming an agency at the moment, which I, by the way, I'm going to call out that moment you said, "Oh, we weren't even a thing yet." How many entrepreneurial stories? start with something that feels like you're pretending to be something and then you become it because you're, you're doing the, the things that make you that, that, uh, that level. Exactly. 
We have uh, so in, in in our story, I remember very early on at when we were starting Proctor U, we talked to an ad agency, very reputable ad agency here in Alabama, does incredible work, and uh, I was ready for us to kind of go to the next level and and kind of you know look like a bigger brand or look like a company that is worth you know investing a lot of uh, of capital into and, and investing your trust into. The problem was uh, when we got to it, the bill was so much larger than we could really wrap our head around. Could we have made it work? Uh, maybe, um, but we passed and we went another probably, I don't know, four years before we actually brought in an ad agency. Uh, actually, I'll, I'll give them a shout out. Cayenne Creative in Birmingham, Alabama did an outstanding job creating what became a global brand for us. Um, but at the time, everything was like done in house and it was you know, had a real kind of junior varsity feel to it. Um, so what kind of advice, I, I'm just saying, I don't, I don't know that I got that decision right. Is there, you know, when you talk to somebody who's early on and it's going to be a stretch to afford a professional like that, it, do you feel like it's better to stretch and do that? Or is it better to kind of keep plugging away until you can take a big swing with, with a big agency? Uh, that's a really good question. It may, there may be a different answer for different people. You just touched on an issue that I think is a huge challenge for any business owner because so many, quote, advertising and marketing people um, may not be that great uh, at advertising and marketing, but they get someone who is an amazing salesperson to, to do all the fast talking and sell you on, on working with them. Yeah. And I see these guys now on YouTube and on TikTok and they're fast talkers and they sound great and they look great and they talk really fast and they, they hit all this, this, the, uh, the sound points and everything like that. But it's very, it's very difficult for um, a business owner to know whether or not uh, they're working with someone who's really good that, that they, can, they can trust. And what I would suggest is to... Um, Find someone that you can at least begin to develop a relationship with where you're not going to break the bank to begin working with them, right? So it's not all or nothing, as you just said, right. you know, where you, you, it's either, you know, wait till you're, you, you've got the funding and you've got the, you know, the, the tens of thousands of dollars uh, to, to hire a really good agency or do nothing. You know, there, there are things in between that that you can do. And this is one, again, one of the reasons why I started, uh, my, my marketing therapy, because it allowed people to get to know me, uh, by just hiring me on for a few hours or a couple of hours and, and, and take it step by step. First of all, decide, uh, after working with me for a couple of hours, if they have a good feel for me, if they like me, if I'm making, giving them advice, that's, that they can put into practice right away and take it just in, in baby steps. So I would, I would, that's, that would be my answer. Uh, try, it's not an all or nothing thing. See if you like an agency or you like a marketing service, uh, that seems to be expensive. My, my hope is that, uh, they can, they can offer a way to work with them that can allow you not to break the bank and begin to start a relationship with them, even, even if it's just on a smaller project or something. Let me just add to that, Jared. Um, I'm a big uh, Apple fan, and uh, I think m maybe a lot of entrepreneurs are big Steve Jobs fans, right? Yeah. Steve Jobs, of course, has the reputation of being the marketing genius, 
behind Apple. But if you um, dig a little deep, deeper and look at the history of Apple, you will know that in 1976, when he and Waz started Apple, only a couple of years uh, after they were working out of their garage, um, Steve realized that marketing was a very important piece of the puzzle to grow Apple. And he, um, as much as he might have had a good feel for Apple, I mean, for marketing and respected the value of marketing, he was also smart enough to realize that um, he needed to find someone or, or an agency to help him. Right. And he, found, he found a guy by the name of Regis McKenna, who um, in 1976 he hired. Regis at the time had an advertising agency on the West Coast and also did marketing consulting and uh, actually helped Steve come up with the Apple logo. His team helped create the Apple logo and really created the marketing foundation, the marketing and branding for uh, Apple and worked with Steve for the first several, several years of their business that really est helped establish uh, Apple and create the brand that Apple became. So that's a great example. I don't think he had a lot of money because uh, it was the, the year that they incorporated. I think he had a little investor money at the time that enabled him just enough money to hire that. But, you know, here's an example of someone who realized that that very, very early on in their, their stage of their business, that marketing was a very, very important piece of their puzzle. And they needed to, to get someone who was really good at it to help them grow their business. Yeah, I sort of think of it, too. The way you're saying it lines up with things we talk about on the show a lot. I mean, the people that you work with, the people that you get on your team are really the thing, one of the most important things that's going to make your business succeed or fail and the talent you surround yourself with and making sure people are motivated and, and you know, lined up with their skill sets. But that can also apply to outside contractors like a marketing agency, right? I mean, yeah, we can, we can grind our teeth about, um, you know, <laughs> how much it's going to cost. But at the end of the day, if that agency can help you go to the next level and like we talked about before there's a clear roi you know why would you not do that right yeah. i mean it, it's at the end of the day you need to find a way to make that happen or you're just going to be slowly rowing the boat and it's just going to be really really painful um to continue to do it that way right and you know most entrepreneurs when it comes to marketing and advertising they don't know what they don't know right you know they know a little bit about it but uh, as you may know since you've had a successful business and been involved with it for some time. You know, marketing is a, a very uh, confusing, uh, multifaceted uh, discipline that is part science and part art and creativity. And yeah. it's really the combination and the right mix of both that analytical, strategic, uh, 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 scientific side and, and the creative uh, artistic side that that makes it work and um and it's constantly changing uh you know marketing today isn't what marketing will be a year from now it's just constantly evolving and this is why um i made it my business to really uh always stay um on the edge of the evolving landscape my first website went up in 96 i was i was podcasting in, two, in early 2006, I had a podcast called The Marketing Show. Ahead of the curve on the podcast thing, for sure. Yeah, and did that for seven years because I just, when I was learning about it in 2005, I just thought it was the coolest thing. And, uh, and it was another media channel 
that I just didn't want to read about. I wanted to get involved with it, and I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, that's awesome. So, John, this has been such a treat talking to you. I want to check the the chicken one more time, but if somebody would like to get in touch with you or would like to – we're getting a little burn there on the top. We might need to move that around so we still got some time on the pro. If someone would like to get in touch with you, how could they do that? Well, they, they, know how, they need to know my last name and know how to spell it correctly. <laughs> okay. So it's Follis. Give us, give us the spelling, right? F-O-L-L-I-S. There you go. And my Follis, my, my, my website is pretty simple. It's FollisIncInc.com. So, you know, hopefully that's simple enough to remember. Um, or they can just, you know, punch, punch that into uh, YouTube or Google. Um, but FollisInc.com is my website and uh, a lot of information about, you know, that's, that's where they can find everything they need, need to know about me. So excited to have had you here, John. And thank you for sharing some wisdom with our, our listeners. And uh, we hope to have you back soon. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jared. Pleasure to be on your show.